<laughs> All right. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for coming. So, yeah, I think this is the last meditation. And um, we're doing it in the middle of uh, rain. Hopefully, the recording can still speak out to what I say. Um, and yeah, no, thank you also, everybody who's been uh, in the recordings as well, who's listening from the other side, joining us wherever and whenever that might be. Today's meditation essentially is a, also a phenomenological approach to ontology. What does it feel like to believe that reality or the universe or oneself is made of or is an expression of different things? And as always, I am not going to make a particular claim about ontology or anything of the sort. All that I'm doing here is walking you through what it feels like to believe that a certain ontology is real. And I think, uh, yeah, there is one approach actually to ontology, which is entirely field-based, entirely how does it affect you and impact you? And based on that, uh, you can choose pragmatically to engage with one or the other. Of course, if you find <laughs> yourself in an ontology that is very hurtful, uh, doesn't serve you, even if you think it might be true, yeah, there might be some phenomenological work worth, uh, worth doing. So we start out with uh, settling in and just observing how you feel right now, what the weather of your experience is. If you feel tired, just notice it. If you feel excited, just notice it. Just get a feel for the weather of your mind right now. It is very common in the realm of philosophy and spirituality to develop this sense that you are encased in a body, that you are in a sense uh, an energy or soul or light 
inside a body and in a way imprisoned by it. Or perhaps in a relationship of borrowing it for some years. Notice what it feels like to believe in this perspective or at least engage with the world from a standpoint that experiences it this way. In this context and also throughout the meditation, I'd like you to notice in what way different facets of your experience reify the ontology and rigidify it. In the case of uh, dualism, I think it's not uncommon for one to focus on somatic sensations of rigidity and interpret them as a sort of cage or encasing structure for, for the soul. But here you, you have to remember some of the principles we've talked about, such as whatever you pay attention to gets stronger becomes more real. Whenever you perceive somatic sensations as a prison or as a cage, you're going to be energizing that whole perspective. The transmutation of ontology into phenomenology. Once you pick up on this fact, you can use any of the attentional, valence, energy tricks we've uh, discussed in order to soften this sense of rigidity, not feel so, so much of a victim of your own ontology.
even when none of the techniques can help you feel more free in that sense, just the knowledge that the ontology is becoming manifested uh, as a phenomenology can be quite liberating because you don't take it so extra seriously. In a way, the pain of dualism is not so much just dualism. It's a feedback loop between dualism and phenomenology, phenomenology and dualism. Reinforces itself. Now let's explore a slightly more complex ontology. If it is, let's say, matter and the soul or matter and consciousness. Now let's see what it feels like if you expand it a little bit and think of the building blocks of reality as matter, consciousness, and space as three distinct ontological substances. In a way, taking into account something like space, at least phenomenologically, can also have some liberating effects. If it's just matter and the soul, it can be a very rigid or stifled relationship in some conceptions at space and there's going to be some dynamism involved as well. throughout this uh, theme of how ontology cashes out in phenomenology and vice versa. I think a very, very important change that happened historically was the confirmation of atoms, particles of matter. 
you could imagine how that changed the phenomenology of so many philosophers and scientists. When the speculations turn out to be true, everything is made of atoms. Feel for a moment. How does your world feel if you really believe everything is made of atoms? Some things almost fail to make sense when you think of everything as made of atoms. One important missing thing is the sense of a holism. How can a group of atoms be more than the sum of its parts? In a radical atomistic ontology that seems impossible. So something else is also going on. Of course, now we know that atoms are not like just billiard balls. They're expressions of a much more unfathomable wave function. And the way they interact with each other with these electron clouds do have a kind of holism or the behavior of a molecule is something like a fixed point in a high dimensional dynamic system the way the whole thing can vibrate as a unit but without it the world is completely fragmented completely disconnected. A world of real pure atoms that cannot form units together. It's a world where only mind dust can exist. One must wonder in the extent to which that implicit ontology is actually shaping people's implicit philosophy without them even realizing it. Sometimes you may talk to somebody and <laughs> not ab be able to make sense of the conversation for hours until it becomes clear there was some background ontological assumption.
Now, I'm not in any way an expert in religion or Jainism in this particular case, but it's very fascinating that Jainism has a very sort of exotic ontology. It's not dualist or monist, something far stranger, like there's something like nine different kinds of <laughs> makeups of reality. But atoms are a very big part of that ontology. So let's let's feel for a moment what it would be like to be a a Jane <laughs> to truly believe in it. So we have atoms of matter, and they have properties like a color, taste, smell, and palpability, things like roughness or smoothness. They can combine with each other and form groups and aggregates that are more than the sum of their parts. But then in addition, you also have particles of space, which is fascinating. So you have particles of matter and then you also have particles of space for some reason they're also particles and then on top of that you also have particles of motion and particles of rest how does that make sense so just take it as a given And uh, not to add more confusion, but they also believe in particles of time. And then there is the soul as well, which is a different kind of entity. which by interacting with the uh, particles of matter in a matrix of space and time and motion and rest generates particles of karma that depend on things like intention and past behavior and situation and the kind of beings one interacts with And then the karma particles obscure the soul. The reason in this philosophy why we're not all liberated is because our souls are filled with karma particles that obscure its innate, perfect brilliance and energy. In this world, when one dies and reincarnates, it's almost an immediate exchange from one world to the next. 
guided by subtle sheaths of karma particles surrounding one's soul that determines the rebirth we're going to have. You can imagine a, such a sophisticated ontology shaping phenomenology very dramatically. What does it feel like to be a Jane? The way of relating to your experience, relating to others through the lens of this ontology, obviously quite a substantial change. Then, of course, there's the lens that ontology is impossible to really explore. All you ever have access to is phenomenology. In which case, the Jain perspective here is just a very complex fabrication of experience trying to make sense of experience. And then the question is, is it a helpful or harmful kind of fabrication? Something you can only know for yourself. So we explore the dualism, <laughs> then the nine or so perspectives of Jainism. What about monism? There's only one thing, only one kind of thing. Let's go through a, a few perspectives on there's only one thing. Perhaps something I find compelling, maybe relatively common in our circles, would be it's all qualia. The universe is a network of qualia interacting with qualia. And physics is describing the behavior of qualia. Why does it feel like to live in a world where it's all qualia? Nothing but qualia. It's a very intimate connection with the universe because you're made of exactly the same thing. And is not an insentient property, but it's the very raw building block of experience. In this ontology, to be is exactly the same as for there to be a experiential quality. Now, a very common conception out there is the universe is made of information. 
feel for a moment what it would be like for the universe to be information. How does that make sense? What does that feel like? Now move on to, it's all algorithms. The universe is a gigantic collection of programs. What does that feel like? Does that guide attention or modes of attention in a different way? I very much believe that your basic assumption about the makeup reality also transforms how you see yourself. If the universe is made of qualia versus information or versus algorithms, how does that affect your sense of who you are? And what is valuable? And can you notice in your life perhaps people who have that kind of, those kinds of self-conceptions, maybe because their ontologies are like that? A work like this is, yeah, like trying to become aware of the water in which the fish is swimming. You can spend your whole life not knowing there are implicit ontologies you're navigating. Now we can try some, a kind of very mythical sort of monism, which is all that exists is beliefs. Imagine if the ontology of the universe is beliefs, even perception and action are manifestations of beliefs. God creates the universe by believing in it. And only then does it feel like something. Notice as well how your, the ontology guides you towards what kind of liberation is possible. If it's all a belief, then liberation comes through a change in belief. Whereas maybe if, if it's all information, liberation comes from a change of the kind of information one chooses to process. 
Now imagine that the fundamental building block of the universe is energy. It's all energy. Nothing but energy. How does that feel like? Personally, that makes me very cognizant of meditative phenomena, energy in the body. Very strange how a shift in ontology affects your state of consciousness, affects your sense of what matters. in a universe that is all made of energy. Each of us is an expression of energy. Energy doing a different dance. For people who are very social, Another kind of monism is, it is all a social construction. There's no reality but the social construction of all of us with each other. What does it feel like to believe that? Maybe... <laughs> makes the world a little bit more political because it means if you convince enough people, you can change reality. Of course, this is a double-edged sword. Now to... Uh, To sort of wrap up, we can look at the two extremes. So in one extreme we have an ontology of infinite different categories. So just as the Jains had like nine completely different building blocks, <laughs> now imagine there's an infinity of them. No matter how many building blocks you have identified, there's always infinitely more. And finally, Let's explore perhaps one of the trippiest ontologies, which is zero, zero ontology. Or the, the family of ontologies that claim that 
it all makes sense because in a certain way there is nothing or nothing is the case that all of existence is somehow equivalent to some kind of nothing because otherwise how could you have something out of nothing if you look at mathematics and you start from the empty set and you're given the ability to make sets out of the empty set you can reconstruct all of the numbers and from that all of math more so any one number implies every other number you cannot have only 42 without 43. So just having the empty set maybe entails all of math. That's one way in which all of math is in some sense implied by nothing. Now, in physics, the total charge of the universe cancels out to zero. The total energy of the universe cancels out to zero. The total strong force of the universe cancels out to zero. So there's a sense in which the whole universe is equivalent or invariant. A kind of transformation you do to zero. And then in the realm of experience, if you're in the right state of consciousness, you might notice all the colors of the rainbow plus magenta if seen together or collapsed into a point they become empty space or all tactile sensations put together feel like nothing all auditory sensations put together cancel out in a superposition that's Fields with no information. If we are a diffraction pattern of ultimate consciousness, if we were to put it back together, perhaps it would feel like pure bright white light or transparent space or one of the higher janas neither being nor non-being. So maybe also in the realm of experience, all consciousness somehow is an expression of a kind of zero, a kind of nothingness.
in this conception, information is actually rolling out possibilities. When you have all possibilities, you have no information. Why does it feel like to believe in something like zero ontology? How does that cash out in experience? Remember that any ontology you choose, in a way, generates fabrications. So perhaps there's a step even above saying there is nothingness, because even then you're fabricating a kind of nothingness. So I invite you to feel what would it feel like to believe in no ontology? Not even its all experience, or not even the negation of ontologies, just the absence of a belief in ontology. the least fabricated state. To finalize, I want you to, in a very playful way, choose either from the elements we explored today or something you invent right now. Make up a completely new ontology and see if you can notice what it feels like to believe in it. Sort of make your own universe, your own reality. Now in your own time, feel free to uh, start getting out of the meditation and thank you everybody for, for joining. <laughs>